thank you for joining us for the PebCAC podcast, a weekly information security show featuring some all-around good people. It is week 20 of 2021. I'm Chris Louie, and with me, I have Brian Deach, who is absolutely annihilating me on our Apple Watch workout challenge. What can I say? Taxes are done. My morale is at an all-time low, but the only thing bringing me up is uh, kicking your butt on this workout someone who hasn't had the fortitude to accept my Apple Watch challenges, Glenn Medina. Hey everyone, welcome and thanks for joining us. Happy to be back for the real podcast number eight. So embarrassed that I called out the wrong week uh, during the last podcast, or the wrong podcast number, excuse me. Uh, Brian, yes, it's a somber week. I'm holding on to that check to the last day before sending it in. And Chris, there's no way I want to accept another challenge during the week that I've had. There's no way I could keep up with either of you on a normal week, but let alone tr- trying to travel at the same time. Combined, we have decades of information security experience and are here not just to educate, but to entertain. We've got three awesome stories for you this week, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I took some time off this week to recharge and to celebrate my wife's birthday. Happy birthday! And I've been jogging five miles a day, and I was really proud of my Apple Watch score of somewhere between 150 and 200% of my daily calorie goal. Then I checked Brian, and it seems like without even trying, he's at 350% of his goal. You know, well, number one, happy birthday to your wife. It's Grace, right? Yeah. Yeah, happy birthday to her. And then uh, we both decided that we were going to try to go for like five miles a day the same week without even like talking about it. But then when I got to five, then I was like, oh, maybe I can get to nine or ten. I think that's the only reason why I've been uh, exceeding my goal a little bit more here than normal. Kind of crazy. Like, I don't know how either of you guys do this. And then, Brian, kudos to you. Happy birthday, Chris, to your wife. I, 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 I don't know if you're putting that watch on the dog or putting it on one of your kids, but I don't know how you get to the amazing scores that you do with that Apple Watch. Yeah, well, Brian's laughed me, so he, he's got that going for him. You know, once we get to meet up in real, like, in real life again, I can't wait to, like, let's go out for an actual run together and yeah. see how it actually goes. Yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, if I ch- maybe if I chase you with on a bike, Brian. <laughs> Can you guys run and talk at the same time? I can't. No, I, I get out of breath too easily if I do that. Yeah. That's how I know I'm doing it wrong. What about you, Glenn? Can you? I, I used to. I used to do it to screw with people. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but uh, I haven't of seen course. those times in days in a long time. So, All right. Well, looking forward to it. Our first topic this week, and you might have noticed I said we're doing three topics this week instead of our normal four, and that's because there has been an incident in the news, which is noteworthy, and I believe it will take the span of two of our normal stories because it is extremely important that we we talk about it. I think I spend more time telling you, the audience, that I don't want to talk about ransomware more than we actually talk about ransomware By now, everyone has heard about Colonial Pipeline getting hit with ransomware and shutting down their entire pipeline, which transports oil and gas on the entire east coast of the United States. I even had non-technical friends and family reaching out to me since they happen to know that I work in cybersecurity. And they were asking if this is the stuff I stopped from happening, which, by the way, absolutely, yes, yes, this is what, what my day job is. First, hackers mess with Florida man's drinking water. 
Now, hackers are messing with Florida Man's gas supply, and, and this is just simply unacceptable. We're going to take a deeper dive into what happened and what's going on, which would likely not be covered by the mainstream media coverage here. The rumor right now is that the attack started on the administrative side of Colonial with a phishing email, not the OT side or operational technology side. Operational technology are the real-world control systems such as pumps and valves, programmable logic controllers or PLCs, that that network, the OT network, is often air-gapped. It's kept off the internet for this exact reason. However, if the administrator side were compromised, Colonial would lose the capability to do things like track orders, billings, and as an indirect result, Colonial made the decision to take the pipeline offline. Now, armchair quarterbacks online are saying things like, oh, but you can run the pipeline manually. Why do you have to turn it off? Yes, that's true. But how would you measure the flow, the rate, the billing, remotely monitor safety systems, and the orders, and all that administrative stuff, without the administrative side up and running. Yeah, so Chris, I've worked in oil and gas in my past life. Uh, typically, the management controls for the PLCs, the programmable logic controllers are are not on the same network as you know the business, right? And it's, it's uh, they have their own wired copper and light fiber instrumentation that's 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 done uh, specifically into into their their terminal controllers um i mean this changed over time and now they're you know they're relying on on you know like um ethernet uh based routing right and for communication or these things and i i just don't see how that was done i, I i'm looking at it going they must have had it so bad where the air gap wasn't as air gap as they thought, right? Um, if I'm looking at it from a standpoint like billing, yeah, okay, that's that 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 makes somewhat sense that they would do that, but still not because from a standpoint of being able to, you know, turn valves to release, you know, a, an amount of of of, of a crude or finished product to to roll through, that's still there, right? They you can't you can't affect that. Um, because it's air gap so so well, I, I like I said I, I'm looking at this going God this this is going to be a really good article on how this happened, and how it really affected um, the uh, the controls from a sta from that standpoint. Maybe it's just the the idea that they didn't have access to look at or have visibility um, to the amount of fluids that or amount of you know product that was was being pushed through. That that could be it unknown right. But typically, I just, it's, it's air gap for a reason, right? I, I wonder, like, if this is the private sector, right? And I, I don't know that we'll actually get all of the details out of this that we can actually tell exactly what happened. It's interesting to see that it's, it started off with phishing, but this had to have been, like, highly targeted, right? There isn't some sort of 15-year-old boy or girl that sent out a phishing email with Emotet and was using that, right? Like this has got to be a little bit more sophisticated in nature. And then, you know, Chris, to your point, like uh, the moment, like we have people to ask us, like what we do for a living, could we stop this? Absolutely. So the first thing we do is like, you jump into like Salesforce, you're like, I'm curious if this is a customer of ours because this could be bad publicity. Uh, thankfully it was not, but it, then, you know, the wheels start turning a little bit as well. I'm like, I wonder, if there was another third-party company, right, that 
used to have uh, Colonial Pipeline as a marquee customer that they were, you know, uh, scrambling to remove any evidence of that as their, you know, reference case. What do you guys think? Funny. Uh, My wife was saying, hey, is that a customer? And I was like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, and I said, it, it goes a long way, right? So if you look at the uh, some of the latest attacks, you know, that, that had, um, that, you know, that, 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 that had some type of losses, you can always go back, Brian, and look and see that it's, it's simply because they didn't probably use the product correctly. Like, let's say, you know, the big target out there, right? I remember my previous company, when that rolled through, we were at, we were at our, our training in my previous company. And... You know, we're all going, what? how? That makes no sense. And then you realize, well, they, you know, so they sub- suburbed the corporate network for that to travel through. They went through a PLC network that had an Internet connection from that standpoint. Right. So that yeah. was that was poor design. Didn't matter. Shouldn't should never have happened anyway. Or it's 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 because, you know, a lot of our customers out there, let's face it, they're not doing SSL decryption. They're not looking at that. They're just, you know, head in the sand saying it's OK because they don't want to affect user traffic. Uh, this, this is really poor, right? I mean, at what point do we go, hey, customer, Mr. Customer, it's great that you have our product. We can solve a lot of these things. But if you're not using this correctly, you're not going to get the value that you really need out of this. It's, it's funny that you talk about like the visibility in SSL and TLS. And I can't tell you how many times I've gone in to talk with a customer and the RSM has a heart attack. The salesperson has a heart attack when I say, if you're not going to decrypt and inspect this traffic, then we shouldn't be talking, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's how I how I feel about this. Like there's you can't sway me from it whatsoever. Otherwise, like you're you're just not doing security correctly. Yeah, and we we do know a couple things about how this this works and where that that those layers of security like SSL inspection, phishing protection, and and the like might have might have helped out. Because we do know it started out with with phishing. The phishing probably, and this is pure speculation, but when the the report comes out, I'm confident that it'll sound something like this. A phishing attack took a user to a page. The page had some kind of browser exploit or had some kind of uh, file download that they tricked the user into downloading. And uh, DarkSide operates as a ransomware, as a service model. So DarkSide is not the one that's actually planting this malware out there. They have affiliates that that do that for them. Now, DarkSide and ransomware as a service operates. You can actually think of this. It operates like a corporation. That DarkSide knows that, you know, I, I don't want to run every single part of it. I don't want to build the malware. I don't want to get entry into the system. I don't want to have to launder the Bitcoin that comes in. So they actually contract out to other companies. So they they purchase services from an initial access broker, and that gets them inside a corporate network. Then they hire someone to build uh, the ransomware. And then they deploy the ransomware and then they hire somebody to launder the money because once you get that money in Bitcoin, it's not quite as anonymous as people think. You could still track it. You have to do things to it, send it through what's called the tumbler to launder the money. Then after you get the Bitcoin, how do you extract that into actual hard cash? So there's services that, that do that. And DarkSide, they even have an ethics page that says they will not hit hospitals. They will not hit healthcare, nonprofits, schools, governments, but... Apparently, critical infrastructure was not a part of the list that of targets that they will not target, but I'm sure that will be quickly updated uh, to include that. And even DarkSide was starting to distance themselves that says, hey, if we knew that one of our affiliates was going to target a pipeline and shut it down, like we, we never would have 
signed off on this. Like we, we can't co-sign on this type of behavior, but you know, it was our, one of our affiliates that, that did that. And then Darkside actually said they will begin vetting and approving targets from their affiliates. So this comes full circle. They're, they're turning into a full blown, full blown corporation with red tape and bureaucracy and approvals. And it, it's just crazy to me that, that they've evolved into a real business. Yeah, the uh, the ethics part is like a head scratcher, right? <clears throat> part of me thinks like they're doing that because maybe bug bounties or whatever don't pay out enough. And so that this is their way of justifying it. But Brian Krebs had written up a, a, on this article, uh, rewriting Colonial Pipeline, of another uh, customer that ended up paying like $15 million, right? And in, in, in the interactions going back and forth between Darkseid, right? And the uh, the business was like, hey, uh, we will, you know, we want thirty million bucks in Bitcoin paid on this date and time, and if you don't pay us, we're gonna double it. We'll give, and then 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 the guys coming back from the business like, well, you know, I can give you two and a half million, right? But like, like, what are my assurances here? And then they're coming back with like, hey, we promise that we'll give you the decryption keys. Uh, We'll tell you how we got in. And we won't do it again. And we won't sell your information. It's like, what the heck? Like, uh, I'm supposed to believe you when you're holding my network hostage? And to for this, these people to actually go all in at, you know, 15 million bones or bitcoins, it's a lot of money. Yeah, even the negotiation for for companies that get hit between the, the ransomware negotiators, the insurance companies, like you can hire professional people to do this on you. It, it's no different than negotiating a business deal that says, hey, my... My boss came back and said, yeah, I'm good for, for $3 million. And then the ransomware guy says, no, no, we'll accept no less than 6 And then they go back and say, all right, we found another half a million, 3.5. Will you accept that? It, this is a business negotiation. This is a full-blown business model. Uh, and the unfortunate side is, of this story is that it worked. Uh, Colonial allegedly paid $5 million to the dark side ransomware crew to get their systems back online. It's it is an ethics discussion. Like we have economic sanctions that say you can't do business with companies like Evil Corp, you know, the, the Evil Corp ransomware group. But some companies still do it. It's it's pay up or literally go out of business. The example I usually bring up when people say just make a law that says don't pay the ransom. Well, companies like Garmin, the navigation company, they build GPS devices, they build smartwatches. They would not be in existence today if there was such a law that says you cannot pay the ransom. So. It, it really cuts both ways, and it's a very difficult decision uh, for companies to make, and it's going to be a really difficult decision to, or a difficult problem to solve. Yeah. There's some collateral damage here, too, right? Like, on one hand, uh, they're, they're going to be looking to point the finger at some people, right? And that could be the CISO. I mean, that's, that's a man or a woman that will be unemployed, right? And they have a family they have to provide for. That, that, that in itself is sad. From the flip side, maybe that C- that CISO had done their homework, and they for the for the longest time they've been preaching like, guys, we need to invest more money into security. It's only a matter of time before this happens, right? And you know, lo and behold, uh, they are hacked, or fished successfully. Ransomware is there, but I just yeah, I hope the collateral damage is minimal. But th- there's going to be some heads rolling. I guarantee it. One of the topics we talked about on on the last pod was about this uh, this coalition that's forming with Amazon and Microsoft and USDOJ, the Department of Justice, the UK, Europol, and all these companies. And, and this is this is really timely because 
you know, with, with ransomware and me, I'm putting on my security professional hat. I said, okay, well, after WannaCry, like millions of systems got knocked offline. The UK NHS had to cancel appointments. Like this is, this had real world effects. I said, this is that moment when we're going to take ransomware seriously. Nope. Not Petia. We shut down Maersk. We shut down uh, the drug makers. We shut down Mondelez. Nope. Nothing happened after that. After Equifax, you know, hundreds of millions of U.S. Uh, U.S. resident records were were leaked to another Equifax. Nope, nothing done. SolarWinds, Exchange. After all these major hacks, I thought this is the moment in time where we pivot in cybersecurity and something's going to be done differently to tackle this challenge. And I'm hoping, you know, cutting off Florida Man's gas supply, this will finally be it. This will be the moment where company or organizations and agencies like like CISA and U.S. Cyber Command will will start really being offensive in their capabilities they might already be now it's just not not known to us in the public but i really want to see some type of response from this like you can't do this to a company like this with kidding our critical infrastructure and think think that's okay chris you keep saying we shut down this and we shut down that i'm starting to think you're participating in some nefarious activities but uh back to your other point right like if, if you just look at home depot or target as a consumer, right, after that happened, did you keep shopping there? And that's the, we become compliant in these things. Like, oh, well, you know, another hack again. Big deal. Equifax got hacked. Big deal. You know what I mean? Like, this things like that. This keeps happening. And we as consumers don't do anything about it. Wow. It, and, and like I said, but at what point, right, like gas is going up to five bucks now, right, in, in the east. And it's probably going to start causing that wave to go to to surge west right and I, if i looked at the gas pumps the other day it was it was four dollars and this is normal we're, we're so far away from this we've got several refineries on the west coast where this shouldn't even have affected us right uh but it has and i imagine this is affecting everyone globally right not just the u.s so just like i said this is this is odd in in its own way yeah, I'm glad you bring up a good point, and Brian too. Like when when Target and Home Depot got hit, it's like okay, big whoop. You know, I got I got some fraud on my credit card. My credit card company will will take it off because I'm not liable for that. It didn't really change my behavior, like you said, Brian. I still go to Target and I still go to Home Depot. And my thought was after they got hit, those are the safest places to shop because they really had to show up their defenses after this this really embarrassing uh, data breach. But I think cutting off the gas supply for the entire East coast and having this be, you know, shown around the world. I'm, I'm really, really hoping this is the moment that it affects the average public person that they will begin to care and want to see some type of, of reform or response. Good time to start writing security policies about, uh, you know, public sector stuff like that, like electricity, power grids, uh, fuel, et cetera. I think they already have those policies in place. It's whether or not they're really being enforced and, and really guided to the letter of the law, right? So, interesting. Yeah, the, the, there's two sides to that, because you can say you've got to get this done in two years, or more realistically, 10 years. And that's a long runway, but anyone who knows that's had to deal with, with critical infrastructure or government agencies, sometimes it, it does take that long for, for anything to get done. These are big oil tankers, they're not a dinghy boat, they, they don't turn on a dime. And these reforms are going to take time. So I think doing that now, getting something in place now, 
is the best time to get started on it. Yeah. Imagine, imagine per se, if this attack happened and it was on that PLC network. I've, uh, I have firsthand experience where I know there's several locations or several companies that still run Windows 95 embedded in a lot, in many of those PLCs, right? So that's scary in itself. Uh, I remember we, uh, like I said, previous company I worked for, it's really odd. They paid uh, like a $50 million for a, for a, a, a big uh, cogen plant in, in, in at their one of the refineries. And when they pulled up the, the controller board, uh, Windows 95 started scrolling through. And this was, God, yeah, Windows 95 had already been deemed end of life. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, not good when you're looking at stuff like that. So looking at fines, right? One of my first jobs, we were trying to get PCI compliant. We had a QSA come in. And basically, the remediation, just to even get compliant, was going to take a year. And so the company looked at it and was just like, well, if, we're, if we choose this not to be compliant this year, uh, you know, what are the fines going to be? And they came back to them. They're like, it's, it's $25,000 a month is the fine. They're like, oh, okay, great, whatever. Like, do you, do you cash or credit? Like, what do you want? Like, they, they didn't care. And you have to think, these guys are moving gasoline, right? Yeah like some crazy percentage for the entire East coast. What were the fines, right? Is this a drop in the bucket? They're just like, eh, whatever. Right. And that, that's the whole risk, uh, conversation. Like if this happens, like what's the bad, what's the worst? That's, that's the part that's scary. It, it should be, uh, I think it's in the EU, right? Speeding tickets are, are based off of your, your annual reported income, as opposed to just kind of a flat fee. If you go 10 miles over. Yeah, it becomes a business decision at that point is are the fines cheaper or is fixing my stuff actually cheaper? So like you said, maybe it's time for some fine reform to, to make it so painful that these fines are, are punitive, really. That, that's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be punitive. It's supposed to be damaging to a company to pay these fines instead of just racking them up on, on the credit card. Yeah, but are we looking at this the wrong way? Are, are we trying to be punitive for the company that's just try, make, trying to make a buck? Or should we go after the folks that are that are causing the malware right? or, or causing the attack, right? And trying to pull, I mean, they're, they're doing the bad thing, right? They're, they're holding technology ransom, right? Or, or data ransom. Should we go after those people instead? Is, is that where you guys are going with this? I mean, there's, there's two sides, you know, pick one. It, typically, I see it as if you're trying to do bad, we should go after you because that's typically how it works. Am I wrong? But it's like it's like banning ransomware, big deal, right? It like there's there's probably conservatively, right, millions of people that are out there every single day doing nefarious things that either go unnoticed or not. And like really what is gonna happen to them? Like it's, it's a game of whack a mole. You capture one and three thousand more people just come up. I think we were on the phone with a uh, uh slide customer the other day and they're like, Yeah, in, in Q one of, 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 of COVID, right? They were saying that they had two trillion attacks on their for like their their customer facing website, and it's like that's such a crazy number, like just to be like of, of people coming in trying to do nefarious things. I do think going back to the punitive thing, all of this stuff kind of drives innovation, and I think it's good, uh, regardless of the outcome. But GDPR, that's one that that kind of it works, right? Like we're gonna spank you, and it's gonna hurt. I, I, I'm, a, I'm actually a pretty big fan of that one. What do you guys think of that? I think it's a multifaceted approach that we, we attack it on the, the victim side 
and we try to improve security controls on the potential victim side. And then we also actively go after the, the attackers. And uh, just recently, DarkSide did announce that they are shutting down their operations after the laser focus on them now by law enforcement and a lot of their command and control infrastructure got taken down either by law enforcement agencies or good hackers out there that are really upset about this, just taking their stuff down. They did say they're, they are shutting down. And I have no doubt in a month or two, we're going to see a new ransomware crew pop up with a similar footprint to DarkSide, but you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Shutting down for shutting down for now until next week. <laughs> 20 years from now, like we're going to have all these, these kids that are now men in jail for, for ransomware attacks as it was made illegal. Right. And then some, somebody will lobby around it and it will be like the whole marijuana thing. Like it's not that bad, right? You just let these guys out. Like we don't need three strikes. All right. Now that we've had our ransomware discussion on to our next topic, uh, Peloton, which is a maker of, they're most famously known for their, their exercise bikes and their subscription that, that comes with it. They also make treadmills, and they have recently been the headlines specifically for their treadmills because they are injuring and killing pets and children. But there's also another story about Peloton. They're having a bad time on the cyber front because they have a, a fitness app that tracks your progress. It takes down some pretty personal information, your name, your age, your gender, your weight, because they want to see what improvements you've made over time. And a security research firm actually found out that the API to query that very personal information had just absolutely no authentication on it, that they were able to go in without any authentication. They were able to scrape the information for any of Peloton's users. Now, the security firm did responsibly disclose it to Peloton, and Peloton said, okay, yeah, yeah, we fixed it. We, we added authentication to this API. And the pen test firm went back there and said, okay, great, you added authentication, but you added absolutely no authorization. So anybody with an account could access anybody else's information. So there's that. Peloton did come out and say, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, we've, we've, we finally fixed it. But I, I think this goes back to another story that we talked about. Uh, Brian, this is, this is your customer that said someone just kept hammering in on the, the website and then we hardened the website. And then now they started hammering on the mobile app because things like, like APIs, they're, they're not quite as secure as we think they are. So adding authentication, adding authorization. Finally, they fix it after the, the third try, but yeah, just Peloton's not having, a, not having a good year so far. With all the money that they're pulling in, you think they would be like, you know what? How about we just do this, do it right? Maybe bring in a, an outside consulting firm on, on this. I mean, there are thousands, well, probably not thousands, there are probably dozens of API-based security, things that you can you can roll out. I mean, even back in my F5 days, you had the ability to import the API scheme or schema. I don't even really know what it's supposed to be called. And it would look at it and do like all the, the, the parameter hardening and whatnot. I understand that this is a, an authorization issue as well, but guarantee you there's, there's probably some other vulnerabilities in there uh, hidden back behind the scenes. And APIs aren't new whatsoever like they're just they're, they're literally everywhere and i actually spoke with a, a a vendor not a vendor a partner this week and they were kind of educating me on a company called salt security which kind of goes out there and, and just it's like it it sits in uh you know it's fully cloud managed but <clears throat> the idea is it wants to go out there and crawl 
all of your like Azure infrastructure and find out what APIs you guys have exposed. That way you can kind of keep track of them. Same thing with uh, APIs that could be publicly facing uh, or heck, even some internal things like that. So I think a lot of customers probably have are left scratching their heads when you guys say, well, do you even know about all your APIs? Let's, let alone are they you know protected, whether it's a, via identity, authorization, or heck, even with security. Yeah, imagine the conversation the uh, <laughs> the developer had when the pen tester group was like, hey, yeah, okay, great. You fixed authentication. Now work on authorization. It's like, don't, you should have done your job <laughs> at a minimum. It's like, what are you thinking? And and who's programming this thing? It's like, is it the 15-year-old kid that's just sitting back there because he's got nothing else? Is it someone's kid that's programming this thing and not thinking about security controls at all? Um, I, I, I think I admitted to you guys, right? I have a treadmill. Um, it's pretty smart. Um, it, it tells me how fast I go. This latest upgrade that I got, um, monitors my heart, my, uh, my, my heart rate through a heart, uh, through a band that goes across my chest. And I was pretty amazed. Uh, it, it came through an update one day with that showed up on my, on my treadmill. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. Okay. Let's look at this. And the next thing I know is that while I'm out for a run, it says that my heart rate is not going fast enough. I'm going to increase the treadmill speed. And it was like, <laughs> whoa. <laughs> I can have some fun with that. Yeah. So, I mean, this thing went from like uh, four, you know, four miles per hour to five to six in a matter of in a matter of seconds. Right. And I was like. Uh, okay, now, now, Brian, I cannot talk and run at the same time, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was pretty crazy. Then it realized, I think it said, "Oh, your heart rate's too fast. Let me slow that down." <laughs> uh, you know, a couple minutes later, uh, that came, like I said, this thing came up in an upgrade, and I've noticed as of late. You know, I leave this, I leave my treadmill on at night. And I come back and it's got a failed update. So you have to hit retry. And then all of a sudden you see it go, oh, it, it, the update was successful. I, I, this happened several times in the last couple of nights where it really bugged me enough that I just turned the, the, the machine off. But it has like a, this 15 minute boot time. So that I, 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 I'm crossed between leaving it on so that way I can get the upgrades. And then, and then it's bugging me enough that at night that this thing fails to get an upgrade done. So I think it's time that I start doing some Wireshark captures and try to figure out what this thing is doing. So and and you know to to Chris, I, I may have to pen test this thing or, or and try and figure this thing out. So yeah, try running a Nessus scanner on it, see if it's running like an unauthorized web server or something. Yeah, some outdated Apache. Yeah, that would be good, right? So yeah, let me let me try that. <laughs> and I think Peloton as a company, they they really have no excuse, like. They've sold so many bicycles during this pandemic. There's they they IPO'd last year. Their stock went from you know, thirty bucks to like two hundred dollars. Now it's fallen quite a bit from from that high. But like they couldn't make these things fast, so they are literally flying off the shelves. And for them to build an API with no authentication and then no authorization, that's I don't want to call it lazy, but that's just not good business practice. I think it's when you rush to the to the market with something, you don't even think about it twice. Security through obscurity, maybe. Yeah, that is true. Uh, I'm gonna just pivot real quick to since we're talking about heart rates and stuff like that. I don't know if I ever even sh- shared this with you guys, but I'll share it with you guys now and, the, and to all of our listeners. 
uh, one morning, I, I'm pretty rigid in, in everything that I do, right? I wake up, I grab ibuprofen, drink a tall <laughs> glass of water. Um, this, like, that, that's just my day, right? So there was, a, there was one day, got up, did that. No caffeine whatsoever, although I do drink a lot of caffeine on average. And I was uh, standing and I was, you know, practicing, rehearsing, getting ready for, you know, the day and, you know, kind of going through, you know, my mindset of what's going on. And I get a, a notification from my Apple Watch that my heart rate is elevated, but I'm not moving. And I look at it and it's at 183 beats per minute. Now, my resting heart rate is somewhere between 69, 72. And if I'm doing HIIT training, I'll get deathly close to 180, right? Um, the, the treadmills at my, at, the, at my gym don't go faster than 10 miles per hour, right? So I'm like in the one, like 176, maybe 180 if I go for a longer time. So I see that. I'm like, that's kind of weird. And, and so I'm like, whatever. So then I, I keep doing that. And then the watch goes off again. Hey, your, your heart rate's high. And I look at it and now it's in the 190s. And I'm like, all right, something's weird. Like this isn't, this isn't good. And I'm, you know, I'm looking down and I can kind of see my, my heart like pounding out of my chest. I don't I'm like, my world's not ending. I feel normal. No shortness of breath or anything like that. No, no numbness feeling. So I go, and I'm like, I'm going to go lay down on the couch. Tell my wife, I was like, hey, come over here real quick. And, uh, you know, I'm telling her what's going on. I said, it's just kind of weird. So then I check it again. Now I'm at 203. And this is where like panic sets in. Like, am I about to have like a freaking heart attack? And so uh, we we decide, my, my wife's like, what do we do? Call the ambulance, whatever. I'm like, well, no, let's just, you know, just drive me to, uh, to the, the hospital. So we go over there and shout out to Dignity Healthcare. Like, like I walked in cool, calm and collective at this point, by the time I walk into the door, my heart rate went from like uh, 203 back down to like 92. Right. And so I'm just casually coming in. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's a heart attack. I have whatever. So they take me in, uh, you know, hook me up to all the monitoring and, and lo and behold, the doctor comes in. He's like, he's like, I don't want to be a jerk. He's like, maybe your Apple watch is just trash. He's like, cause there is no evidence of a heart attack nor in the last three hours did we see your heart rate go above like 80. Uh, we don't really have any concerns. Just, uh, did you have any caffeine? I'm like, oh, no caffeine. He's like, you have any caffeine last night? I'm like, yeah. But yeah, I'm like, dude, you understand. Like I drink like an entire rock star. I can go to bed. Like it doesn't really affect me like that. It usually helps level me out. So, uh, nonetheless, I found out that, uh, you know, for $663 that, um, doctors think that your Apple watch might not be that as accurate as you think. You go invested in a, a new Apple. You go actually wear two or, or maybe three because you know how boats have three clocks so you can tell if one's off, you know which two are, are correct. No, so that's maybe true. that's the solution. Wear three Apple watches all the time now. Or you wear a different... You know, Tim Cook is smiling ear to ear right now, Chris. Good job. Either that or you wear, you wear a different product, on, like a, a ring on your finger that measures your, um, your, your heart rate and your intensity workout as well so that way you can balance the two. Right. I notice when I when I when I'm on the treadmill, I wear my Apple Watch and the heart band and they're about maybe one or two heartbeats away from each other. So at least it's close. Uh, Same thing I did. I did Orange Theory for a while where I did the, the chest one that you're talking about. And and I would notice that the, the chest one would report it as being higher than the one that's than the Apple Watch on my wrist. Um, but not by like an astronomical amount, by like maybe two or three yeah. beats per sec, uh, per minute. I think the theory is chest is more accurate than wrist. Oh, I'd like to hope so. Different locations. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. On to our last story. And the last segment is always going to be a rotating segment. And this week it's going to be called 
everyone who has used Western Union always has an interesting story behind it. So I'll go first. About 10 years ago, I got into cryptocurrency, both mining it and buying it. It was, it was very attractive to me because I, I was really into crypto, uh, cryptology uh, at the time. And, and it was just fascinating that there was this you know, magic internet money. And you know, the more I dug into it, the more I, I really loved the, the technology. At the time, there was not Coinbase, Coinbase. There was no Bitcoin ATMs like you see in the mall today. And you know, just the other day, I saw a sign at a 7-Eleven convenience store where you could purchase Bitcoin from, from a 7-Eleven. And 10 years ago, it was not like that. There were you know, foreign websites where you could buy it, but you had to have a foreign bank account, which, by the way, Mr. IRS, I do not have a foreign bank account. Or you had to deal with shifty dealers. I eventually found one as reputable as one can find and sent the money through Western Union. I hoped for the best and I made my peace with it that, you know, if I send this money and never hear back, that's that's a very realistic possibility. But I sent the money and actually, you know, to my surprise, I actually got the, the Bitcoins back. And this was, you know, a completely unregulated industry. There were just no rules, no system set up for it. And Western Union was, was really the only way uh, to do that. And sort of an ancillary story to that is I was talking to a buddy of mine. He, he works in law enforcement and he was working a case. This is, this is present time. And he's working a case where somebody got the typical scam that says, you know, go to this Bitcoin ATM, send me, you know, send me some money via uh, Bitcoin. And I was, we were lamenting and say, why can't we go back to the old days when people stole money from Western Union, when, when you actually had to show up in person and collect the money uh, but but now today with with cryptocurrency and everything, it's it's just all done online and semi anonymously. So Chris, did you hold those Bitcoin or did you eventually use them? Uh, I'm holding them, and okay. for the Mr. IRS person that's probably listening to this, I do plan to fully disclose that at a time when I sell them or trade them for goods. What a stand up guy. Yes. All right. So here, here's my story. This is this is a long time ago. Uh, I had went out and I bought a, a vehicle, and unbeknownst to me, like anytime anybody that bought a vehicle that day just got a free TV, and it was like a flat screen, may have been like an LED or LCD. I can't even, no, definitely not LED. Probably LCD. And uh, I was like, you know, I was kind of stoked. I was like, I got like this new 50 inch screen TV, so I'm gonna sell my old TV. And I had gone out on Craigslist, said I'm gonna, you know, sell my old TV, and uh, some lady contacted me and said that she was interested, wanted to get it for her husband for Father's Day. I was like, you know, I should the giant red flag there, number one, right? Like, uh, no thanks. Uh, but I was like, whatever, I'll, you know, I'm happy to meet up with you. So we get there, and despite telling her that I wanted to only do cash, she says, well, you know, I only have Western Union. I said, you know what? I don't, you know, I, I'm looking at the Western Union uh, moneygrams, and I'm like, they look legit. I was actually pretty impressed, and so I said, well, you know, if these actually cash, like, um, you know, you, I'm happy to do this. So we go to the, we go to the uh, to the bank, go ahead and uh, take them in. They they sure enough they cash them out and give me my I think it was like 800 bucks or something like that, and uh, she takes the TV and we're gone. A uh, couple days later. I can't remember if it was what branch of the government it was. I believe it was FBI uh, had a had an interesting phone call uh, asking me where 
and what I had, you know, basically where I had gotten this, these money orders from. And so I had told them, I was like, you know, pretty much the same story. And it turns out the money orders were not fake. They were legit. But they had been, um, the machine used to create the money orders were, were robbed at gunpoint. So somebody had broken into like some, uh, or not, I shouldn't say broken wow. in. They had gone into a convenience store and they actually stole the device to make the money orders. And that's, and they were fabricating these. And not just me, I mean like all over the valley in, in Arizona. And my only saving grace is that this lady like rolls up in like an infinity g60 i can't remember the exact model but she had like an interesting license plate that had stood out in my memory for some point for, some, for whatever reason so i was able to get that information from or to them and they were eventually able to find her and, and uh, prosecute and that was about that's that's the last i had ever heard of it i was off the hook but at, at some point in time i think i was a suspect in this whole western union forgery of uh, uh of, of uh <laughs> money grams it's that Breaking Bad cosplay that, that gave you away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think my story is as bad as yours, but it definitely was a weird one. So in 2007, um, I think I had the iPhone 2 at that time. And uh, I, get a, I get a text email from a buddy, of, uh, a buddy of mine who had fallen on hard times. And he says, need money. The text was like, need money, um, lost job, uh, please send I'm I'm broke and the, and it was right before Christmas and I was like oh my gosh so you know texting back and forth with him um, I'll be honest with you guys I never called him to make sure things were that, that it was actually him I went on the assumption that it was my my buddy that I was going to send some money for so that way his kids could still have a, a Christmas um, and I we coordinated that we would I would send the money um, through Western Union, right? Because it was the fastest way. And I was going to send it through the Walmart because Walmart, I think, does Western Union or the Safeway or something like that. And he was going to pick it up at the uh, the Alaska uh, Walmart over there. And right as I had just deposited the money, I was like, oh, sh- is this really Scott? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's like that, this is that temporary moment of panic. This is like I just sent money and I didn't validate if it was really him. I'm like, I'm a friend and I'm a terrible friend because I never even called him to make sure that it was him. So I immediately called the number and I said, "Hey, money's on its way." And when I heard his voice answer, and it was like, "Oh, thank goodness, it's him." So this was like um, a text phishing before it, it's gained popularity right so yeah that was Dang. a strange one for me um yeah, smishing as they call it now. yeah what was it called smishing Smish. sms phishing okay. smishing yeah that, that's coming a lot more uh, for some reason i don't i don't I, I i see it on my phone i see it on my parents phone because I'm, I'm watching them uh yeah that's it's, it's on the rise so number one on Christmas, expect a text message from me, Glenn. I'm gonna need something. Uh, number two, like you're such a good dude. Uh, but number three, um, I get those those same text messages, and I just love to screw with them. Like I will, I will wait, I will waste up to days, if not weeks, of like, yeah, man, I sent it over, you didn't get it, and like you know, uh, I'll Google like uh, what fake Western Union receipts and stuff, and I'm like, here you go, here's the tracking number, yeah. and he's like, I didn't get. It. I'm like, what do you mean you didn't get it? Or give him like. 
uh, you know, fake numbers that mean absolutely no sense, right? Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'd love to do well, that. Well, my dad got it. Scam the scammers. Yeah, my, my dad got the, his, his, his smishing, right? Uh, last week, I was talking to my mom about it. And she says, your dad made me go to the DMV with him because someone someone was texting him telling him that he owed $2,000. And I was like, dad, no one would ever do that. And he goes, I know, but I needed to validate. And I said, so what did you do? He goes, I sat at the DMV for two hours asking them why they were wanting $2,000. <laughs> Oh, no. I said, well, at least you, A, you were smart enough not to click on anything, right, or or send them money, and B, I guess, I mean, I guess when you're 80 plus years old, you have nothing better to do is sit at the DMV and go, why are you bugging me? <laughs> uh, thank goodness the lady at the DMV was, was, nice, was nice enough to explain to him that they will never send text messages to send money, uh, so I think he learned his lesson. Hey guys, I, I do I do want to do a shout out, and I know we, I, you know I don't want to get too personal in nature. I, I've got a proud dad a moment here. Uh, I want to tell you guys about my my youngest daughter. I, I got a text message the other day that um, she's being interviewed or potentially uh, she's being interviewed as a potential valedictorian candidate for her high school. <laughs> I can't tell you how proud of a moment this is. Um, she's my youngest daughter. I'm proud of all my kids, of course. But uh, this is something you go, oh, my God, I'm so glad she's as smart as her mom. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> you love her just a little bit more. Yeah. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Congratulations, Glenn. That's, that's a huge, huge accomplishment. Yeah, thanks. That is, that is, yeah, absolutely. Congratulations to her. Congratulations to you and your wife. Uh, quick question. Do you, do you see your daughter as being a little bit more risk adverse than the other kids since she's been so hyper focused on school and doing well? Risk aversion in what way? Like, I can either stay at home and study, or I can go out with my friends and do something fun tonight. Yeah, that, that's funny. So her thing is, I would rather stay at home and do homeschooling, uh, the the online class, because at least she can look up things while she's in class. And she was thinking, if I go to school, everyone at home is going to have the leg up because they can cheat when they take the test at home. I was like, God, yeah, that's true. not how that's not how it should work, and that's not how they it should they should think. But unfortunately, it's it, you, you would think that the teachers know that, right? So, yeah. Well, we continue to get great comments about our dad joke of the week. Dad joke of the week. This week, it's Brian's turn. All right. So, why is dark spelled with a K and not a C? Because you can't see in the dark. nice one brian thank you guys pity pity laughter i love it all right to wrap things up dark side is ruining the day of people trying to get gas on the east coast peloton's troubles are not only with the recall of their treadmills for killing pets and children but they're also having a bad time with scaring their apis Everyone who's used Western Union always has a good story to tell. And we also know that Glenn is a great friend. Congratulations to Glenn's youngest daughter for being interviewed for Valedictorian. That's all we have for this week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode. You can find us all on LinkedIn. Links will be in the description. And just so you know, your chances of getting a raise at work just went up by 20% just by listening to our podcast. If you know anyone else who would like a 20% better chance of getting a raise, 
please share this podcast with them. The best way to find us is to search for the PEBCAC podcast on your favorite podcast listening app, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and Stitcher. We'll see you all next week. And as always, have a nice day. See you, everyone. Thank you. So, hey, Chris, don't you report to Glenn? I think your odds of uh, getting your pay raise is skyrocketed, bro. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye.